0: Welcome to the Paper Tiger podcast, where the editors of Lick High School's student newspaper provide interview-style coverage of local, national, and international news with a focus on issues important to Bay Area youth. I'm Caroline Courtson, co-editor of the Paper Tiger Online.
1: And I'm Gabe Castro Root, co-editor-in-chief. Our guest today is Dee Johnson, Lick's Dean of Adult Equity and Inclusion. She joined the school community this fall and we wanted to talk to her about her work at Lick and her experience as a transgender activist. Dee, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So when you and I spoke for the Paper Tigers new teacher profiles back in the fall, you described yourself as Jamaica's first openly transgender activist. So we wanna start there. Can you tell us about your experience growing up in Jamaica and your experience as a trans activist?
2: Growing up in Jamaica, I just wanna start by naming that. This is a very poignant topic for me. I love um, my home country, um, but unfortunately it was really difficult. So as someone who is intersex, who is transgender, um, I think it was really difficult to find myself in anything in my cultural environment. Um, We have a law from 1864. It's the Offenses Against the Person Act. And basically, um, that law and several articles within that law um, make it unconstitutional to have um, same gender and even same sex relationships. So essentially what that does is that it, it criminalizes um intimacy and even gender expression for certain folks, and definitely um, some forms of sexual orientation. And what that meant is that I couldn't find myself in conversations with family, with my family members. I couldn't find myself in school. So sex ed, I was completely removed from that. In biology class, we only really spoke about, you know, cisgender pregnancies and hormones um, for um, cis folks. Um, there were no there were no um, protections around bathrooms and locker rooms. The bullying that I faced during, you know, during my time at school, it was rather unfettered. And I witnessed a lot of anti-LGBTQ violence. So it was commonplace for me to be coming home from school and casually there would be a mob beating someone, um, oftentimes to death. And so that fear of being myself was always there. Um, So I grew small and quiet as a child. Um, And when puberty hit as an intersex person, my body started doing things. And um, I don't know if it's fair to say people refused to tell me um, what was going on with me, but I don't think people were prepared um, themselves because outside of our cultural lexicon, I existed and they were unprepared to, to assist or to create the space for me to be as expansive as I needed to be. And so I did my own research. I was always naturally curious um, about who I am and who I could be and the things I needed. And so I did a lot of my own research. Um, (laughs) At that point in time, the internet wasn't as ubiquitous (laughs) as now. So um, spending time at the national library or the library in my hometown, Um, And then I found our first um, LGBTQ organization in Jamaica. At the time, it was called the Jamaica Forum for Lesbians and Gays. Now they've changed to include all all sexes um, under that umbrella. And because of the name, you should already be able to tell that the Jamaica Forum for Lesbians and Gays really excluded folks unintentionally who were trans identified or gender independent. And so I started having a conversation about what it would mean to be more inclusive of folks who are gender independent. Um, I was 15 and I attended a rally. Um, My mom knew nothing about it. Um, And I was spotted afterwards. And right after I was attacked by three men. Um, And so I was beaten up pretty badly. Um, And yet still folks were blaming me for you know, exercising that right. And so that really launched um, me into activist mode. I wanted to organize. I knew that I was insulated from um, many of the harms that folks who were um, poorer um, than I was um, experienced. And in the Caribbean, we have lots of um, politics around race and ethnicity as well. And um, as a biracial person, I knew that I was insulated and from a lot of the harms um, simply because of my race and ethnicity. So I knew that I had to do something with that privilege. Um, and so I started organizing with other smaller LGBTQ fora in, in Jamaica. And um, that's when it began. I realized my job would probably be to not only organize and raise funds, but to also educate folks. And I think. That's why I'm an educator today. I wanna be the adult I needed as a child and to support parents um, because knowing how to care for support and love, a gender independent um, child is not something that is often taught and I wanna correct that error.
0: So you talked about the basis of your activism in Jamaica. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've continued that activism throughout the rest of your life?
2: So I, I, I write, so I hold healing, healing circles for LGBTQ folks in the Caribbean, creating an, a creative outlet for folks to talk about their experiences in ways that are safe, so a lot of it is anonymous. Um, fundraising as well um, is important. Um, we don't have any, currently have any systems for social services for LGBTQ folks in Jamaica. So fundraising has become a huge way of um, supporting folks who are transitioning and basic necessities, things like food and shelter. So there's that. Um, And being in contact with other activists who are on the ground has been really important and supporting um, LGBTQ asylons like myself who live outside of Jamaica to, to lobby for change back home. And as an educator, like I I said previously, I think that's probably my greatest um, strength or what I can share really, figuring out how to help schools with their policies to protect um, and to support LGBTQ plus folks, particularly trans and um, gender independent students and faculty members. Um, It's really important. I recently um, just contributed to a book called Teaching Beautiful Black Girls. It talks about how to support Black um, trans girls in the school system. So um, in a variety of ways, I would say, but definitely um, my pride and joy is being an educator um, and supporting that, that learning around how to support us. So what brought you to San Francisco
1: and to Lek?
2: So I just want to say, I've always wanted to live in San Francisco. Um, I remember being I think I was 11 and I I went to the dentist's office and there was a magazine with a a spread of San Francisco pride. And I thought to myself, oh my God, there are people like me out there. I must get here. Um, So after I was was attacked back home, I was really fortunate I received the scholarship. I moved to Europe, studied abroad, and I finally made my way to the US for college. I left again just in doing more um, gender and human rights work um, in in China and India um, specifically. And then I said to myself that a lot of these INGOs, they don't serve the youth. And I felt like I was moving too far um, from that goal. So I said, I'm gonna set my sights on being an educator. There was a job here in San Francisco at French American and I took the job here and I moved to San Francisco and spent three years there. And now I'm at LIC doing DEI work. I've always done DEI and justice work through my own activism, but also um, as a profession, I was a junior program specialist um, for UNESCO in Paris. I was a global citizenship and human rights ed program specialist. it lended itself well to DEI and justice work in independent schools, and I had the opportunity here, so I moved here.
0: So as you just mentioned, you are currently our Dean of Adult Equity and Inclusion. What does that actually mean, and what are you responsible for doing here in the LIT community?
2: So in a nutshell, I'm tasked with creating and maintaining conditions for equity, justice, and belonging to thrive at our schools. So... I choose to look at the people, programs, and practices of our school and to evaluate um, if and how they bring us closer or further away from delivering um, on our mission. So what does that look like? Um, Presenting in faculty, staff meetings, supporting parent learning and education around DEI and justice issues, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, Um, supporting um, the board in figuring out strategic priorities that will um, lead our school um, to become even better at DEI work. Um, and I support admin as well in decision-making, things like that.
0: And how much interaction have you been able to have with the student body in the past, you know, almost full school year that you've been here?
2: I would, I would say quite a lot. I, I often um, engage with, the STUCO um, co-presidents and um, Primo, uh, the student inclusion chair, not as much as I would like. I, Like I said, I left the UN because I wanted to work with youth, but I also acknowledge that adults are the container for the type of experience that our young people deserve and need at our school. And um, it's one of my strengths to work with adults as well. And so I I am happy to facilitate their learning and growth and my own um, because I'm learning so much from folks here, adults at our school, but to, to create that safe, brave, and even gracious container for students to thrive.
0: And what aspects of lit culture and school policy do you think need the most attention right now?
2: That's a tricky question um, i I'm new like you said, but I've also been learning about the computer the computer freudian um, I'm learning about the school through a screen and i and I think that's really difficult and I, and so I don't want to make any assumptions until I'm actually there. but what I will say is that I believe that there's always opportunity for, um, for growth and healing um, I think across the nation with the black at Instagrams, um, thinking about the poster that was delivered. I think there is, is room for, for work around how to have restorative conversations um, and, and for us to really listen um, for understanding and to practice practice care. That's always something that is, is needed so not until I get to campus, will I be able to put my finger on um, more concrete things, but I, I definitely see the trend is we need to be in more conversations about how to be better together um, and how to correct for harms that have been you know, have been caused. So how has your life
1: experience inspired your current work here at LEC? I,
2: uh, my work as an activist is really important to me. And I see my role as an educator. um, Quite similarly, I think there's huge overlap. Um, I believe in justice. I think it's imperative. I believe in in care. I'm an abolitionist. So I, I tend to shy away from disposability. And I when I show up in my work environment, what's really important to me is that folks feel seen and held in ways that are healing. Um, And that's something that activism has taught me. I I know that from my own experience as an activist that I can't create a world in which only I can exist. Um, And that's not the goal of activism. And I think that's also not the goal of being an educator, particularly one who is, Thoughtful around equity and justice issues. So I would say that in my, in my work, my goal is for people to be their best selves. My goal is for people to understand that there are different ways or different pathways towards um, our own humanity and honoring the humanity of others. And when you
1: say you're an abolitionist, can you explain what
2: that means? So actually, it's so funny, I just had a friend earlier text me about, you know, what do you think of the future? And I told her that the future is abolitionist. And what I mean by that, and what I mean by when I say I'm an abolitionist is that I'm pro-healing, I'm pro-empathy, I'm pro-community, and I'm pro-transformation, and I'm anti-prison, anti-policing, anti-disposability anti-dehumanization that that is those are my core values and those are things that I bring to the work um, at Lick and in general I believe that we have to be better together in order for this project this humanity the shared project of humanity to be realized
0: and looking at a more long-term focus what are some things that you hope to accomplish in the rest of your time at Lick
2: Ooh, those are some hard-hitting questions. Um, <laughs> I want to, at the very least, um, plant the seed of abolitionism at the school in hearts and minds. I think that it's difficult for us to elevate our thinking or um, or radical imagination outside of some of the um, perimeters that we have been raised in, in terms of like social constructs, what is acceptable, who. For- is allowed to be themselves. And I want folks to think more critically about how we create space for others. Um, I want us to think more creatively around what schooling can look like in terms of curriculum. One, um, and I think our school is excellent at that. And I'm wondering how we'll lean further into that. The content of the curriculum is important and also how it's um, being taught. So thinking creatively about, you know, culturally responsive teaching, what does that mean? Um, For us to think deeply about what wellness looks like in the context of our school is important to me and what does representation and visibility for our most underserved looks like. Um, And in general, I, I wanted to teach a politic of, of love, you know, a critical love ethic that invites us to run towards each other when we're feeling hurt and vulnerable and to not push folks away, Um, but also for folks to stand in their own self accountability. Those are long-term goals for me.
0: Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I think myself and the rest of the community are excited to see what you will bring in your time here at Lick.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to the Paper Tiger podcast.
0: Make sure to tune in to our next episode. For more content, visit our website, lwhspapertiger.org, and follow LW Paper Tiger on Instagram. See you next time.